Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting edge, state of the art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. Elamine Abdel Mahmoud. Hello. Social media editor at BuzzFeed Canada. That's me. Welcome back. Today, we are going to talk about where Muslims are allowed to die in Canada. We're going to talk about the Conservative Party of Canada's Fox News offensive, and we're going to talk about Justin Trudeau's Basic Bitch playlist. <laughs> That's rude, but I'm into it. Good to have you with me. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Cameron Mockery, Stacey O'Malley, Kayla Greenstein, Alexa Baker, Jessica Tsang, Ali Zahir, and Barry McDonough. Barry, why did you decide to be awesome? What I love about Canada Land is the fact that it punches above its weight. It goes after the people that are in positions of authority and power who think that they can skirt accountability. I mean, this episode is also brought to you by Second City Improv. You strike me as a, a, a playful fellow who enjoys a good laugh. I'm a fun guy. This is not about that. This is not about people who like, you know, oh, I want to get up on stage and be like a stand-up comic and like, if I'm good, I'll be a hero and, and if I bomb, I'll be humiliated in front of strangers. This is a totally different thing that people are doing who do not necessarily dream of being comedians. 
it just introduces a sense of play into people's lives and people are doing it for all kinds of reasons. I asked Samantha Adams, who is a comedian and an instructor at Second City who used to work in retail but discovered this and it just it just took over her life. She loved it so much. I asked her what the best part of teaching improv to non-comedian people is. The moment you see someone who's like kind of new to improv, who isn't necessarily going to be a comedian, but they're just doing it for something different. Sometimes when you catch them in a moment of like, oh, this is fun. Like, it's not scary. It's not, you know, nerve wracking anymore. I've had I've like I've shaken the nerves off a bit and they have that like light bulb moment. It is so thrilling to watch as an audience member because you're like, man, I can do that. I can have that much fun. People, this is a supportive and safe way that you can get out of your shell or just have some fun. They have social classes, professional classes, youth, teen, and Rewire You, which is business-focused. It's a great way to get your team to just sort of interact very differently. If any of this sounds appealing, just go do it because you can try it for free. There is a free drop-in class if you go to secondcity.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, It's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. I mean, I think people tend to, like, ignore news out of French Canada and the rest of Canada and the ROC, but there is this item that you want to talk about today, and it's not an isolated item, about this 20-year effort on the part of this mosque to just get a place to bury their dead. Yeah. And how that was frustrated this week. So they've been trying to find a place, this community in Quebec City, uh, they've been trying to find a place to bury their dead, a Muslim-only burial site. And this week, uh, this was shot down by a small town that I cannot pronounce the name of because I am not French. I will stumble it. Saint Apollinaire, 
uh, and this is just 35 kilometers southwest of Quebec City. It's a weird situation where they actually have referendum on zoning issues. And so you had like 19 people saying no to the cemetery, over 16 people saying yes. That's right. And that was it. That's all it took. But the thing that really disturbed me was when I realized which mosque this was. That's right. It's the very same mosque where the shooting happened earlier this year. Where Alexandre Bissonnette, who we still know so little about, just yeah. disappeared. I mean, that story has disappeared. But we do know that he was a Trump-supporting, Marine Le Pen-supporting guy who was outspoken online. He was a right-wing nut. He was uh, with Deuce Volt's Christian crusading imagery in his Facebook page, that he he came to this mosque and uh, he just shooting rampage, 19 people injured, six people dead. And I found out through this cemetery story that five of those six dead had to be, their, their bodies were flown to other countries. That's right. This same mosque, before the shooting, had a severed pig's head sent to them, uh, wrapped in a ribbon that said, Bon Appetit, during Ramadan. Yeah. I cannot imagine the outcry if this had happened at a synagogue or a church. It would be national news, and we'd be talking about it in every single kind of, you know, angle. But that's not what we're doing here. It's difficult, you know, from our lens of media criticism, whenever we come across a story that's like, well, the media angle here is that the media isn't talking about it, mm -hmm. you know, because then you're just kind of finger wagging like, well, what would be an acceptable level of coverage? But like this one really stands out as just like, holy shit, do we not care at all? Listen, there's been some coverage and I appreciate that, you know, most of the newspapers have written about like the procedural process. I haven't seen one single explanation of like, why might some Muslims want to be buried at a Muslim only burial site? Because there are some good reasons for this. Muslims have to be buried almost immediately after they die. So there's been, I think Zarqa Nawaz, who's the creator of the Little Mosque and the Prairie, wrote a great piece in the Globe yesterday. And it was all about how her, when her father-in-law died, they wanted to do the funeral right away, but um, they couldn't because it was a long weekend. A Muslim burial site, a Muslim funeral home would not have that problem because they would be ready to address those concerns. How about an explainer from anyone that says like, here's why Muslims might want um, a Muslim-only place that can cater to their needs because the ceremonies are different. And that, that I think that would have made a huge difference for those people. Oh, it's a similar thing in the Jewish faith. Uh, people get buried uh, as soon as possible. But even that just strikes me as, I mean, just an explainer sounds great just to know more about each other. But the idea that that's something you'd have to justify. Uh, you know, Not as a justification, but just as, just to add on to the story, you know, because yeah. the only thing we're hearing is, there's this community and they're just not so sure about those Muslims. Well, I, I think, you know, it's especially pronounced in Quebec, though. I don't even know if you can single out Quebec these days, but like this sort of fascistic secularism of like scorn heaped upon this community for wanting to have that. Yeah. You know, which, right. you know, by default, cemeteries in Canada are Christian cemeteries. Yeah. There, there are Jewish cemeteries. There are cemeteries that have Jewish sections. Yeah. And there are, I guess, like where you're Muslim. There are, yeah, I am. And there there are cemeteries that have Muslim sections. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Okay. It feels like there's just uh, such microscopic scrutiny on Muslims in Canada, and it's especially pronounced at this moment. Like, and especially pronounced in Quebec, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't know. You can't, just speak, not, can't just, speak for the whole community. I'm just wondering, sure. like, what, like, are, are people losing their minds over what is, like, like just, it, I just feel like, how, how the behavior is so shitty to can, this mosque, can you, specifically to this mosque, you know? You know what? It's also like how small of a margin it is, right? Like 19 people voted against it, 16 people voted for it, and that was enough. 
there's enough that the, the zoning, you know, application wouldn't go through. And that's just so just so awful, so disappointing for those people. Well, I think it's illegal. Some of the analysis I was reading is, you know, like it's it's very specific charter, like freedom of religion. You know, like I love that, like rights, like like freedom to die and be buried. You know, th- th- this this very strange zoning process they have, which apparently is dysfunctional for a lot of other reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, the city could simply move ahead with this anyhow, right? And then there could be a lawsuit that the uh, the complainants would lose in all, in all likelihood. So there's nothing really stopping this from going forward, and it's very likely that this is a charter violation. But at the moment, it, it seems like it's it's fine. also it's also a good example of of when we talk about like structural racism is that it's not necessarily people standing in the street going like, I think Muslims are really bad. It's like finding back ways to be like, I just don't want them, literally don't want them in my backyard, even if they're dead and finding different policy means and different policy arms to be like, this is how I will make sure my 6,400 people community is Muslim free. Hi, I'm Cheryl Gallant, your Conservative Member of Parliament for the huge riding of Renfrew Nipissing Pembroke. Whether it's the Toronto Star, CBC, Globe and Mail, CTV, or even the National Post, editorialists and columnists have been tripping over themselves in the rush to justify Justin's payout to Cotter. They've been working overtime trying to media-splain why you should zip it and just accept the payout. They brought out fake news story after fake news story. They claimed it was all somehow Harper's fault. Now Trudeau is elbowing aside their carefully laid plan to keep the Liberals in power in return for hundreds of millions of dollars in subsidies. They know that if the Conservatives are elected, there won't be a gravy train. Media companies are going to have to adapt and work hard to win consumers and paying subscribers. We are already seeing some of these new media companies rebel against the elite stream consensus. Was she bigging us up? Was that a Canada Land big up? I think so. We're the rebels that she's talking about. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Mm, I don't think it was you. Huh. No. I'll have to watch the Actually, she took it offline. Uh, I know. And you can't see you can't see the, uh, what do they call it? The, the, the chrome eye or what do they call it? It, it? The the TV graphic thing. I don't know. This the. Yeah, she called it GNN, Gallant News Network, which is amazing. It's amazing. Why did she take it offline? It's wonderful. Fake news story after fake news story. How are you going to call the National Post and the Globe and Mail, for that matter, mm-hmm. elite stream fake news? The elite part maybe applies to the Globe and Mail, <laughs> uh, but like the insinuation is that the National Post is carrying water for the Liberal Party. That's right. Is pro-Liberal fake news? Listen, there are certain factions of of government, I'm not going to say who, we'll talk about them in a minute, who are tripping over themselves to make this the story about like the next election. Even though we're like two years away, they're like, they think that this is the thing that will bring Justin Trudeau down. They finally got their wedge with Cotter. That's, yeah, this that, is that, it. That's the, that, if you can keep this a lot, if you yeah. can keep a lot, this alive for two years, you know, which is an unreasonably long time for a wedge. But if you can keep this alive for two years, then I guess maybe you can bring that back. I've actually received some people saying, well, Jesse, you're helping them. I, keep, I don't care. I'm not trying to help or hurt anybody. But I'll keep talking about the Cotter story because it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And it's it's where I think we're on week three of the cycle. And, you know, the news cycles in the summer tend to stories stick around for longer. But it is amazing how they keep doubling and tripling down on this. And Peter Kent had an editorial in the Wall Street Journal, a terrorist big payday. Uh, Cheryl Gallant, the low budget version. (laughs) 
uh, on the Gallant News Network, which yes. is like super, like they're playing with like dangerous stuff to bring that whole fake news narrative, yeah. to make the, the, the press their enemy, to basically try to delegitimize the National Post and the Global Mail and to like big up the rebel, embracing the rebel fully. What happens if you're successful, which I don't think that that low budget silly video w will be, but if you're yeah. successful in, in vilifying the entire Canadian news media, yeah. and then like you're what? Now now you've got Ezra for your information outlet and embracing Fox News. I mean, you know, yeah, you don't want to embrace Ezra, but you also, you certainly, to me, just seemed like a really odd move for Michelle Rempel to go on Tucker fucking Carlson. That's a new low for the conservatives, right? Like, we've seen them play to a lot of conservative media before in the U.S., but to me, like, Tucker Carlson's, like, where I would reasonably draw the line. I actually think there are some good, you know, Fox News commentators, and that's not to say that Tucker Carlson would ever count on that list, and I, I just think it was way too low. Well, let's, let, let's listen to a clip, because I actually think that Michelle Rempel went lower than Tucker Carlson. Oh, boy. While a lot of your viewers have just seen this statement... They should also know that most Canadians, I think, are quite outraged and quite disappointed by the state of affairs. It doesn't seem just. I mean, there are probably a lot of people in Canada, including some who've probably been mistreated legitimately by the Canadian government who could use ten and a half million dollars. How did this guy get it? Well, and the thing to recognize here is this was a settlement. This wasn't any sort of payment that was awarded by a Canadian court. This lawsuit that Mr. Cotter had filed was being litigated. And there was no court ruling, right? This was something that the government decided. And now we're just getting dribs and drabs so of why, what's happened. So why was it made? Why did the you Prime know, Minister that's, do that? That's really a question for him. The Prime Minister has said that this was done for some sort of financial reason to save money. But the reality is that this was a decision that was made by his government and not by a court of law. And I think that that's quite confusing and quite outrageous for many, many Canadians. So there's an effort online in Canada to raise money. One thing that I want to point out about that, Fox News, I mean, her motivations for going on Fox News are worth talking about because yes. Fox News is not something that a lot of Canadians watch. Yeah, you know? for sure. So what are you doing? But, you know, Wall Street Journal is not a newspaper that a lot of Canadians read. Mm -hmm. So there is obviously some political strategy going on there. And uh, taking this message to the United States is something I want to talk about as well. But just in that exchange, it was interesting to me that Tucker Carlson was kind of like torn between two different things. I mean, part of it was the usual Fox News outrage. Why is Canada giving money to this terrorist? Why not the widow? Oh, that Trudeau. But he also just has like, you know, he tries to suppress it as best he can, but it just doesn't make sense to him. He's like, well, why, why would Trudeau do that? And he asks twice. He asks Michelle Rempel, like, so why did he pay it out? Right. And she refuses to, to tell, answer. She to says tell you'll have to ask him. Right. Right. She, she knows the answer. The answer, I mean, just on a basic nonpartisan level as well, the Supreme Court of Canada ruled through three times that Omar Cotter's rights were violated. So the rationale for settling this is that it has a very low chance of success and, and you know, all, all costs included. It could you know, she, she, she grazes. Oh, he says it would be more expensive otherwise. But Carlson has no idea who Cotter is here. Yeah. The fact that he was the only minor in modern history to be prosecuted for war crimes. The fact That's that right. he's the youngest person in Guantanamo. All he knows is here's a terrorist who became a millionaire. And Rempel refuses to inform him of the basics of the story. And I think the reason for that is that the outrage and the facts are incompatible. Right. You know, you can't explain this story and, and maintain that level of outrage. That's right. And that is a really dangerous choice as well for her to make. I'm not going to call her a liar because she was so careful in her wording. At one point she says, there was no ruling. 
of course, there were three Supreme Court rulings That's that right. led to this. But you She's know, talking about a ruling about a settlement. She'll say, well, there was no ruling that that made Trudeau give this ten point five million dollars. And she also says this is nonpartisan. Here she is, a Canadian MP on American cable news as part of a concentrated effort at all levels of the Conservative Party, from Stephen Harper to Cheryl Gallant. Right. This is their wedge that they feel they can take Justin Trudeau down with. I think why they're on American TV and American press is to counter his international glossy image. Like 18 months away from an election. Yeah. So I think that's just absolutely fraudulent. But there, her wiggle room is, no, there was a poll that shows that liberals and conservatives both disapprove of this deal. That poll itself is an interesting poll because the 71% or was it 72% disapproval of the deal, you were given two options. Do you think that Trudeau was right to give him the money or should he not have given? That's terribly nuanced. I don't know what you're talking about. It was a, a, a very call like a, a push poll, uh, the phrasing. Yeah. There, there was another part of the poll, though, where people were asked whether or not they knew much about uh, you know, what was Omar Cotter mistreated? Yes, no, or I don't really know. And 42% of respondents said, I don't really know. So again, many wow. of the people who didn't approve of the deal yeah. don't know anything or don't know enough about how Cotter was treated right. to say whether or not they feel he was mistreated. So there's, there's something about the story that's sort of, it's like a perfect storm for the conservatives, right? It's, like it's a story that people don't know a lot about, but they're like, I'm pretty sure this young man might be a terrorist, but I don't really, I don't really like the look of him. And they know that he pled guilty and they know that Stephen Harper for the longest time refused to bring him home. And so to me, like if you go back to that well, that well has fed the conservatives for a really long time. Like it's a reliable well that they can fall back on. And this just falls in line with that strategy. I'm better at talking about the media than I am about like political strategy. Like, mm -hmm. uh, and those things often there's, you know, they overlap. Yeah. There's a gray area. And the media strategy of politics is the, the, at a certain point you're talking about politics, but there is just this one aspect of this that I feel is unexplored, and it's it's a purely political one, which is that for all of the shit that, that Justin Trudeau has taken over this, and I, I I accept that this was mishandled. They didn't expect the leak. They maybe underestimated how angry the public would be. There were signs yeah. that people were okay with Cotter. You know, they fumbled this perhaps. But no one's asking the other question, which is why did Justin Trudeau do this? Why did he settle? Why did he settle? Like the argument he's given for the most part is being that it would cost a lot more money if he didn't. That's probably true. I don't think he cares about the money. In the grand scheme of government, it's not that much money. He grazed on that it's the right thing to do. Right. You know, there's like one sentence where he said, when our rights are violated, it costs us all. Yeah. And I think he's, he's afraid to push that button too hard. Um, Which is fair. I guess I hate to do the American comparison, but like it's interesting to me that in, that in Canada you can't say, you know what, we are coming out of a very dark period for civil rights in Canada. Under Harper, there was this guy Hussein Darakshan, who was a Canadian citizen, who was a uh, very influential guy in helping uh, Persian language speakers and writers blog. He was a, a pundit. His politics were largely kind of pro-America, pro-Israel. At a certain point, he took a turn and became pro-Iranian. And that's when he went to Iran and was captured and thrown in Evan prison. And Harper left him there to rot for years. We are coming out of a, a Harper era where your rights as a Canadian citizen depended on your faith, 
They depend on the color of your skin, whether or not your government would offer you consular services or go to bat for you. Like there were two different kinds of Canadian citizenship. Right. And you you don't even have to look at through the lens of anti-Muslim stuff, like civil liberties in terms of scientists' ability to speak. Like Trudeau is afraid to say this was not a good thing that the youngest person in, Gwent- in Gitmo was a Canadian and we left him there to rot. In fact, we actually fought to keep him there. Yes. Like, so when I say that's fair, what I really mean is like it's fair politically for Trudeau to not want to push that button because it's a political loser for literally everybody. But you're absolutely right because it's also a matter of what's right, you know, a matter of saying what's right. And that's right. There's very little room for saying that. I mean, under Harper, the prime minister was aggressively adversarial against the courts. It's not the prime minister's job. It's like the courts have told me we have a fucking charter. In the States, you can cite the constitution and say, no, my job here is to uphold the constitution. In Canada, it's a political liability for the prime minister to say, we have a charter that I'm going to defend. The courts have told us three times that his, his rights were violated. It is obvious that we've wronged this person. Yeah. And that's done. Under me, that's done. We're not going to fuck with your rights anymore. Like you'd think that that would be a legitimate it's a legitimate message, but it's not simple. It's not as simple as this man admitted to committing an act of terrorism and now they're paying him $10 million. Because like that is a is a much simpler story than, you know what, you don't have to like it, but this is the right thing to do. Yeah. I think that I think that's a more complicated story to sell. It is. And and I, I guess I may be more within my wheelhouse talking about, you know, the decisions that were made about the optics. And I feel like he kind of was, you know, if he was a wuss anywhere, I think he was a wuss to to, to be a bit more like his dad and say, just watch me. I'm, I don't care if you don't like it. This was the right thing to do. That's fair. And maybe I just would like him to say that. I, I, but, I, but I think it would be a stronger position for him. They didn't try to sell a story behind it. Right? Yeah. They didn't, they didn't try Try to tie it to some like a larger sense of justice. Um, he he only grazed that button, but he had he pushed it, it at least would have been a counter narrative, and then people would have been arguing about two different things as opposed to we just paid an alleged terrorist ten million dollars versus this saved us money in the long term. Back to my original question, though, where I am just wildly speculating here, but I, I got to say, because it hasn't been said, why did he do it? I don't think it was to save the money. Some people have suggested it was it was to spare the country a long drawn out process where like. You know, Harper would be put on the stand. Chrétien would be put on the stand. Somebody said, oh, he doesn't want Chrétien to be embarrassed because I, I don't buy that. That wouldn't put a stain on his administration if Chrétien looks bad. Occam's razor, okay, the, what is the simplest explanation? And this is not one that I've extended generously in Trudeau's favor many times. Mm-hmm. Maybe he did it because it was the right thing to do. Like maybe it's enough with the state fucking with this guy. Right. You know? Right. Like all of his life... His country has been against him, keeping him in Gitmo, putting a gag order on him. Like maybe it's like, why are we fighting him still? Right. Maybe they just let's let's just stop fighting him. Let's duly note some things. Let's duly note some things. Okay, so I want to talk about two headlines in the Globe and Mail mm-hmm. in our wonderful paper of record. Um, one is from John Ibbotson on a Tuesday, and then the other one is from Conrad Yakabuski on a Thursday. And they are in Jagmeet Singh, a unifying figure with divisive potential. That's on the Tuesday. Mm-hmm. And then on the Thursday from Conrad, Singh complicates the NDP's Quebec quandary. They are the exact same column. They're the exact same fucking column. They're not different. They're the same column. I don't understand how you run the same column from two different columnists two days apart. But, but because... But here's here's the thesis. Are you ready? 
You ready for this? It's Please. crazy. Yeah. Jagmeet Singh is visibly a Sikh man, and so therefore his turban is a symbol, and I don't know if Quebec is going to be comfortable with that because Quebec really likes secularism. Summarized, two columns from two different columnists who are major columnists. Oh my God, I'm really mad about it. I think that we need to subsidize <laughs> the creation of those columns. That's a point that can't be made enough. Uh, duly noted. Thanks, um, man. Did you see this video manipulation of Barack Obama? I sure did. You saw that, huh? Yeah. I mean, I have a smile on my face because it was so cool. But did it also blow your fucking mind? Very disturbing. The University of Washington, this is what they call it, okay? Uh, it's an artificial intelligence project. Given audio of Pre President Barack Obama, we synthesize a high-quality video of him speaking with accurate lip sync, composited into a target video clip. Trained on many hours of his weekly address footage, a recurrent neural network learns the mapping from raw audio features to mouth shapes. Given the mouth shape at each time instant, we synthesize high-quality mouth texture and composite it with proper 3D pose matching to change what he appears to be saying in a target video to match the input audio track. I can't play you this because it's just the audio is just audio of Barack Obama talking. Right. And they were, I think, very careful not to do what they could have done very easily, which is cut up what he said in ways that made him say things he didn't say. Correct. And then, this is the mind-blowing part, create high-definition video footage of him saying it with no edits. You're watching Barack Obama giving an address where he's saying whatever they want him to say. They can do it by editing audio tape they have existing of him. They can yep. do it by getting an impersonator to do a, an Obama impersonation and then having the visuals of Barack Obama. There he is, one undisturbed shot saying that. And a separate technology that I saw that a lot of people in podcasting and radio paid a lot of attention to, they were able to synthesize text to speech based on anyone's voice. Right, so they can oh take, boy. if they have enough audio of me talking, and there's a lot of audio of me talking out there, Yes, they have the technology to just like, oh, and there was, they try to present it in a benign way. If you happen to not record properly the part where Jesse said, let me ask you another question, you can just type in here, let me ask you another question, and then he pressed a button, and it was the person's voice saying that thing. Oh my God. So, we're there. We can't trust video. Maybe it always lied. To a certain extent, but not like this. I mean, this is, this is some next level dystopia shit. You know, there was a time when, before photographs were reproducible in newspapers, people, like illustrators, would draw the news. And people would say, look, there's a picture of it. And your, your conception of a certain kind of picture was like, it lent credibility to the story that there was a drawing of the thing happening. Right. And cartoonist Art Spiegelman talks about how the birth of cartoons really came when the photograph came into play. Because as soon as there was a photograph, that had the authority of truth. And now illustrators can go and just do like Windsor McKay, Little Nemo in Slumberland, surreal, crazy stuff. Right. It freed them up to be creative, right? Right. Then the photograph was the authority. So doctoring of photographs, that's, you know, Photoshop's been with us for a while. You know, like I think people are kind of media savvy, like, well, I don't know if that photo's legit or not. Right. And now we can't trust video or audio either. I think that not being able to trust someone's face as they're looking at you saying something, that's like a new level of craziness. I mean, like there's that, there's this long circulating video on the internet and it's uh, Barack Obama finishing his speech and then he walks off and he kicks like a flag down or something or kicks a door. It's not real, but it's perfectly cut so that like a body leaves a podium and then the cut is made right as he like makes a turn and then, like, and then it zooms out and he's walking across the stage and he just kicks the door. A lot of people thought that was real for some reason. Yeah. 
Um, but we have now the savvy to be like, no, that's clearly doctored and edited in a certain kind of way. But the ability to have just a close up of someone's face talking and saying something that they never said, I think it's game over, man. Or or or, or it's game on. Am I going to silver lining this? Like I I feel oh, like please. you please know do. the idea of like proof is always manipulatable, and it was always true that we have to live beyond our fingertips where there is no such thing as the objective truth as shown in a photograph or a video. And so what you require is like journalists to actually scrutinize things and through virtue of their reputation, their credibility, not having lied in the past, having many eyes on it so that many people independently are telling the same story. Like getting to the truth is a job. Right. We can't farm out that job to a camera. Maybe we never could. You need people to report the truth. Duly noted. Sometimes we have an ad here. Instead, I'm going to talk about. Uh, I'm going to talk about us. I want people to like us. Elamine. All right. I want people to like Canada Land. When I close the show and do the credits, I usually tell people like, "Here's our website and here's uh, here's our Patreon." But I never say like us on Facebook because it feels so silly to me and needy and desperate to ask people to like us. They gotta like you on Facebook. It has come to my attention. You know this, Buzzfeed. Like you're you're, you're a data driven media company. We are. We publish to the website. Very erratically. We only publish to the website when we have something to publish to the website. So it's kind of silly for me to say, oh, go check out our website because it's just totally random if you go there whether you're going to get a news story or not. We publish really interesting news stories. We only publish news stories when we have something that nobody else has. If you would like our news stories in your news feed, like us on Facebook. And by the way, you don't have to like us to like us. <laughs> Good sell. in the JT playlist? Uh, not all of it, but some of it, man. It's got some bangers on there. What do you like on Justin Trudeau's Prime Minister playlist? Well, I like that it's clearly constructed to reflect a very diverse country. By a committee. <laughs> yeah, like, there's no way, and I say this in the nicest kind of way possible, there's no way the Prime Minister of the country listens to Lost Boy by Ruth B., Mostly because no one listens to that song. It is an awful song by all standards. And I hate that it's on this playlist. But I sort of respect the hustle of trying to like appear to represent like a wide swath of the country. Yeah. It, um, it, on the same playlist as your Blue Rodeo. Sure. And your Drake. And, of course. Uh, got to throw some Drake in there. Do you got it? Like if the point is to big up. Of course uh, you got it. You got it. We're having, we're actually doing what I'm going to criticize people for doing right now is like, and, and what was intended by releasing this prime minister playlist of like, pouring over it, having fun with it, making fun of it a little, but also sure. talking about whether he represented the country. Like, I just watched the headlines that this generated, and it's just this very predictable thing, and there's nothing even original about it. I mean, Obama did this first, and then it just gets picked up, and the CBC is like, here's the prime minister's favorite music. This Here's here's his playlist. And then I think it was Chris Selly, the National Post, was like, damn CBC doing government propaganda, and then, and then somebody was like... <laughs> And here's the same story in the National Post. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. This is all hail our glorious leader. Sure. I mean, this is just free positive press. I mean, listen, it is free positive press, but at the same time, like, we can't 
in the media deny that we have a personally popular prime minister whom people are interested in all kinds of elements of his personal life, including the kind of music that he listens to. Some of it is terrible and I don't endorse all of it. But you know what? I actually think it's an interesting exercise in, I don't know, just like appearing like like he's one of the people who sits around and is like, let me just make a summer Spotify playlist because like, that's that's my jam to do. It's yeah. cheap media. But at the same time, like I don't know if it's like outside of the realm of the public interest. I'm not sold on that. Here's where conservatives have a legitimate point. We wouldn't do this for Stephen Harper. If Stephen Harper put out a Spotify playlist that was all like the Beatles, yeah, I would I'd be into it. Like I'd I'd I would cover it, would, it. It would not get the same amount of press at all. Do you think it's because one of them has like Sean Mendez and like is like down with the youth and one is not? Or do you think it's because of the personal popularity? Like I do, Stephen Harper was not a figure that people were interested in the personal life of. I don't think that's the same yes, kind of thing, if, right? And if the mainstream media picked up his 24-7 house-made videos and said, similar headlines would be like, Stephen Harper entertains the public with footage of himself playing Frisbee with his kid, we would be right to call bullshit on that. What we ran, almost everybody ran, every single time that he sat down at a piano was like, let's play with a little help from my friends. And they're like, here's the Prime Minister of Canada singing the Beatles again. This is sort of like along the same lines. Well, you're, I making think two, you're making two arguments. You're saying that, yes, we would do the exact same thing for Harper, but you're also saying that Justin Trudeau has a celebrity brand and the public is interested in a celebrity brand, and that justifies the media giving just kind of uncritical attention to this. Oh, I think the media giving any kind of attention to like the personal life of a prime minister is fair game. I think the level of interest in Trudeau heightens it. So like this was an obvious play in terms of the media doing it. But, but like I see how that burns people to like 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 okay, uh we're going to do more puff pieces on Trudeau because Trudeau is more of a well-liked celebrity than any conservative politician past or present. And that's just the way it is. And it's like okay, and by the way, you're the CBC who's taxpayer funded it. Like I could see why if I was like interested in putting somebody else in power, I'd be like, "Come on." Okay, but do you really think that, like, the people of Canada, the public, looking at this list, are going, oh, my God, this is what Justin Trudeau listens to. I love him so much I'm going to vote for him. Or are we going to give the voters a bit more credit than being like, he listens to Carly Rae Jepsen, I'm all over it. <laughs> like, come on. You but I think what? people are more intelligent than that. And they, This is not a puff piece in the sense of, like, you go and you're, like, going to try to get something really interesting from him and then you show up and you're like, here's, like, nothing. This is one of those, like, oh, here's also what he's listening to. Like, it's, it adds nothing. It takes away nothing. It's there for people who are interested in it. Turns out there are people interested in it, but I don't think it's like politically significant. I couldn't disagree more. The idea that celebrity stuff is in some separate silo from political stuff, I think in the Trump era, that's just total hogwash. Like you can't live in a country where 99 people know about Trudeau's selfies in his playlist and one person is following the policy. You think this is the same as the selfies? Oh, yeah. Oh, come on. Of course it is. It's not even in the same, not nearly in the same category. I think selfies are a much more, you know, vibrant form of communication than I do like a summer playlist. It means nothing. No one's going to listen to Wait, it. Wait, why is the selfie a more vibrant form of communication than because, the playlist? Because selfies are like, we just use selfies more often. He uses selfies um, on his personal, on his personal channels all the time. And I think he does something interesting with selfies that other politicians ought to start doing as well. Whereas... A playlist, something entirely different. And it's so it's like so benign and boring. 
Yeah, your BuzzFeed is showing. I don't know. You lost <laughs> me completely. <laughs> Let me thank you. Thank you. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. I hope you enjoyed it. I can be reached at jesse at canadalandshow.com, and I read everything you send me. I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Elamin, where are you? I'm also on Twitter at Elamin88, E-L-A-M-I-N-8-8. Like us on Facebook. <laughs> Check out our website, canadalandshow.com. Our Patreon site is patreon.com slash canadaland. This episode is produced by Kevin Sexton. Syndication by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, please support us. Mm-hmm.